This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kinney, and I will be your charming host today. Today's episode is going to be one of peculiar politics. This is where we talk about a historical political event that is kind of strange or unusual. And in fact, today we have two of them. And the reason there's two of them is because they are related. We're going to be talking about two of the strangest wars that have ever taken place in world history. And the first one is called the Pig War, and the second one we'll talk about is called the Football War or the Soccer War. Now, they're both very unusual wars with some strange backstories to them, but I think they should be really fascinating for you guys as we touch on some of the, the weird oddities of the past in, in politics. So let's start with this first one. The first one was called the Pig War, and this actually took place in 1859, so about 150 years or so ago, and it actually involved the United States. It's a, U- a U.S. war that took place between the United States and the United Kingdom and the British. And it took place specifically in uh, on the border between U.S. and Britain when we, Britain owned territory up in the San Juan Islands, which is be- kind of between Vancouver Island and the mainland. Now, back at this point, we had the the Oregon Treaty, which was back in the 1840s, and it basically was designed to settle the border dispute between uh, the Oregon Territory between the United States and Britain, who owned the territory north of it. So it was divided along the 49th parallel and separated the main continent from Vancouver Island and kind of split through some of the, the San Juan Islands. Now... At this time, there was actually still some uncertainty about what the geography of the region looked like. And the reason I bring that up is because there weren't GPSs or particularly accurate maps. And so there were, there were some disputes about what these straits that kind of ran through these islands looked like. And so there was some disagreement about where exactly this boundary was wasn't put into place. And because of this ambiguity, both the United States and Great Britain claimed the San Juan Islands. They claimed sovereignty over that uh, cluster of islands between Vancouver Island and the mainland. Now, San Juan Island itself doesn't really hold any significance for its, its size or its resources, but it was a particularly important point for military strategy. Because the San Juan Islands were, or I should say are, at a very specific point where it allows them to kind of overlook uh, the whole strait of Juan del Fuca, uh, the entry point to a different strait called the Haro Strait, the Strait of Georgia. And so whoever held the San Juan Islands would be able to control all of these waterways that kind of ran through this territory. Now, in 1859, June 15th, exactly 13 years after this original Oregon Treaty was put into place, there was a situation that, took, that happened. Uh, and what happened is there was a, an American farmer who had moved on to the San Juan Islands for farming. Uh, and there was something called the Donation Land Claim Act. 
And so he moved into this territory, tried to claim some of this land there, and set up some gardens. And one day he's out in his garden, and he finds this huge this huge pig kind of rooting around in his garden, eating his, his vegetables and this sort of thing. And this wasn't the first time that it happened, so he gets very upset. He takes he grabs his gun, takes aim at the pig, and kills it, uh, and sh shoots it. So the problem is that it turns out this pig was actually owned by an Irishman at the time, someone who was part of the United Kingdom, a man by the name of Charles Griffin. And he owned quite a few pigs that were kind of allowed to roam freely at this point, and he got very upset with this. Now, the man who shot the pig, a man by the name of Lyman Cutler, he offered to pay for the pig, but they couldn't settle on a price. I believe um, Cutler offered $10, Griffin wanted like $100. And so there was a lot of dispute about this, and Cutler didn't even really want to pay it because he thought the pig had been trespassing on his land. Um, and ultimately, the British authorities kind of had to step in. And they stepped in, threatened to arrest Cutler, who they saw as kind of this American settler into British territory. And the American settlers who were there, and Cutler wasn't the only one in this area, basically called on the U.S. military for protection from, from being arrested. Now, this plea by the American citizens went to the U.S. military, and it was received by a man by the name of General William S. Harney. Now, Harney in particular was noted for having some very anti-British views, was well known at the time, and so without much of a second thought, he grabs some of his men, 66-man company, and marches off to San Juan Island to handle this. Now, in response, the guy who, who kind of ran British Columbia, James Douglas, sent a handful of British warships to the area as well as a show of force. And so for about a month, there was this huge standoff with the United States and Great Britain both kind of slowly increasing their military presence in this area all over this one-shot pig. And probably at its peak, this dispute over a pig had grown into a standoff involving three, three warships, something like 84 to 90 guns, and over 2,500 men. So it was a pretty massive deal. And both sides became very concerned that this was going to escalate further and potentially cross the line into uh, battle. And so both sides quickly started to, to settle into negotiation. And, and ultimately, they come to an agreement that basically says that both the United States and Britain can maintain a presence on the island until some sort of more formal agreement can, can be met. And so they both kind of back down. Uh, I think both sides kind of limit their number of men on the island to 100. And ultimately, in 1872, so quite a few years later, the island, of, the island is ultimately given to Americans to control. And so the, this overall dispute is uh, laid to rest. And so this dispute ultimately is, is resolved. And so this kind of odd point in history is... It's one of the most fascinating because this was a, it's a small dispute over a pig rooting around in a garden that escalated quite massively. And it could have spilled over into something much, much stronger. And ultimately, nobody was end, ended up dying over this except for obviously the pig. But it's still considered the pig war because of the, the massive military buildup in the area on both sides. Now, this leads to the second war of sorts that has taken place that I, I want to talk on, talk about that was actually kind of unusual. And this one actually did result in deaths. And it's called the football war or the soccer war, as we might call it here in Americas. You also might hear it called the, the hundred hours war. 
It was a very brief war that was fought between two countries in Central America, Honduras and El Salvador, in 1969. Now, there is a lot of backstory here. It's We'll get to the football side in a second. But there were existing tensions that were between these two countries that had gone back quite a few years. Now, a lot of the tensions that really had existed previously to this were due to economics. Uh, there, Both countries were fairly poor, but Honduras was a much larger country, so there were better economic opportunities here. And this led to a lot of illegal immigration. Uh, there were estimated in the 60s something like 300,000 uh, El Salvadorans who had crossed the border and were living in Honduras, which had raised some of the tensions between the countries. And... There were a lot of problems over real estate, I said economics, um, migrants who were coming across, and kind of over the years prior to the football match, which we'll talk about in just a second, the there were a lot of uh, expulsions of migrants, uh, both sometimes both legal and illegal, and so this created a lot of problems as you know thousands of people were driven out of the country uh, on this kind of pretext of illegal immigration, saving jobs and land for locals and not giving those to to foreigners. And so tensions kind of had been rising for several years leading up to 1969. But that leads to what happened in 1969. And in June of that year, Honduras and El Salvador were set to compete in a FIFA World Cup qualifier. And it was a kind of a two-leg qualifier. If you're not familiar with that, that means you basically play two matches and kind of the total points get added up. It's a little complicated, but essentially um, it, you, you end up playing kind of a, a back-to-back set of matches, one in Honduras and then one in El Salvador. So you play on each turf. It's a way to kind of even out the home field advantage. Now, the first game, which took place on June 8th, was in Honduras, in the Honduran capital of Tegucigalpa. Uh, Honduras won that, and there was a lot of fighting between fans at the game. And so that had tensions kind of already high. And so about a week later, you see the second game uh, on June 15th in the Salvadoran capital of San Salvador. Now, El Salvador wins this 3 to nothing, And this was followed by even larger amounts of violence among the fans. And this match coincides with a series of riots that started to take place uh, across the countries as well. And so we see the, the tension from the soccer match spill over. And because the first two matches were split, they ended up playing a sort of playoff match on June 27th. And on the exact day of the playoff, Honduras officially breaks off any sort of diplomatic relations with El Salvador. Now, El Salvador wins the match, essentially booking their place into the World Cup, but the tensions don't go away. And by July 14th, so about two, two and a half weeks later, El Salvador actually makes a decision and invades Honduras. And this launches into essentially a full-scale war that was sparked by the football match. So while I should mention the football match was not what caused it, it was kind of that final spark uh, that had a lot of people on edge and it's believed that something like 3,000 people were killed in this war about 900 on the side of El Salvador about 2,000 a little over 2,000 on the side of Honduras and El Salvador moved very quickly into Honduras they actually came um, within striking distance of the Honduran capital at one point they kind of 
pushed through seven or eight different cities to get there. Very successful at first, but then they kind of stalled. And this allowed the Honduran Air Force to respond by uh, launching some strikes on one of the Salvadoran air bases. And so we see bombs start being dropped and fighting on the ground and oil deposits, or say oil depots were being bombed and burned. And as Honduras saw El Salvador getting closer and closer to their capital, Tegucigalpa, uh, the Honduran government reaches out to the OAS, which is the Organization of American States. It's kind of like a a UN, but specifically for countries in, in the Americas. And so they they ask the OAS to step in. And so the OAS steps tries to step in. They meet. They have this very urgent session on July 15th, uh, so about 24 hours after the war starts. And they call for a ceasefire. And they, they try to get El Salvador to withdraw. El Salvador says no for several days, demanding the Honduras... Uh, pay reparations for what they saw as attacks on Salvadoran citizens, for kicking them out of the country, for all kinds of other things that were taking place. They, they argue that uh, a lot of their citizens were raped and murdered along the way as they were being ousted from the country. And so they wanted to guarantee the safety of the Salvadorans who did return, and they wanted Honduras to pay these reparations. But uh, eventually they do ultimately agree to a ceasefire on July 18th. And it took effect about a day or two later. Now, the actual war here lasted just over four days, which is why you hear it sometimes called the Hundred Hours War. But the repercussions from this lasted quite a long time. It took over a decade to come to any sort of final peace solution that was more than just like a ceasefire. Um, and even though El Salvador does, does ultimately withdraw its troops... There were massive casualties on this. Uh, 300,000 Salvadorans had been displaced, again, exiled, or ha had to flee from the country. Um, there were something like 3,000 people who were killed during this, including a lot of civilians uh, during this war. Something like 2,000 civilians or so were killed, and thousands more were made homeless because a lot of this war was fought on Honduran soil and destroyed a lot of uh, Honduran infrastructure as well. It also damaged the economies of both both countries because trade between the countries had become massively disrupted. The border was formally closed. And the actual social unrest that was left over after this war, particularly in El Salvador, actually ends up leading to the El Salvadoran Civil War, which takes place about a decade later as well. And so the repercussions on this had some very long-lasting effects. Now, they do ultimately sign a peace treaty in uh, 1980, which resolves some border disputes, but this doesn't actually resolve the entire rivalry between the countries. As late as 2013, so just five or six years ago, there were quite a few letters that went back and forth between Honduras and El Salvador threatening military action again. So this is a rivalry that has lasted a long, long time. And as I said, the, the tensions on here go back decades, but it, there's kind of this weird little quirk that took place in 1969 where a soccer match or football match sparked rioting and led into a pretty uh, devastating war for the area that lasted about 100 hours at most. Uh, so it was pretty pretty interesting. Um, so anyway, those are two wars that I thought were kind of fascinating, had some interesting backstories, a little bit of peculiar politics, a war that was almost launched uh, over a, the death of a pig, uh, even though nobody actually died in it. We saw a massive military buildup, and then a war that was sparked by a soccer match 
uh, sometimes called the soccer war between El Salvador and Honduras that just took place only about 50 or 60 years ago. But with that, we're going to go ahead and close things down this week for Nutshell Politics. I hope that was an interesting little look into history for you guys. As always, you can find me on Twitter at JustinR underscore Kenny. Please find me, follow me there. I'd be happy to continue the conversation. You can also find me on Facebook at J. Robert Kenny. It's the name I write fiction novels under. And you can find my, my two books, Precipice and Splintered State, both on Amazon uh, right now. Also, if you're interested in supporting me, supporting this podcast, or advertising on the podcast, I would be happy to talk with you more about that possibility. So please get in contact with me about that. But with that, we're going to he- go ahead and shut things down. This is Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kinney, and I am out in three, two, one.